Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. All right, thanks, Kelly. If you guys could stand up, I'm going to read the um, passage that I'm going to be preaching through today. Um, If you're new to Oak City Church, um, we do this as a way of acknowledging that the, these words, God's words um, from Scripture, are more the most important words that will be said today, and uh, honoring that and, and just expressing our gratitude for God giving those words um, to us. At the end uh, of this passage, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, um, thanks be to God. So, Romans chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Um, We have been in a series of Romans for a long time now. Uh, We're actually not far. We're five, six weeks away from finishing this series. Um, And the Romans, the first eight chapters or so of Romans is the most expansive treatment of the gospel. Just Paul going through, here's what the story of the Bible is all about and what the gospel is um, in all all of Scripture, in all the whole Bible. And, And then the last part of Romans is what is that? mean to us. So at the end of this service, at the end of every service, um, we'll give you a chance to receive communion. And so George and I will be up here um, offering, we'll say this is the, the, um, uh, this is the body of Christ, and this is the blood of Christ. And, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's the gospel. We're like remembering the gospel when we do that in a very visceral beautiful way for God to do that every week, but it's, we need to remember it because our understanding of it and like the way that it influences and impacts our lives like keeps growing, um, but I don't know, year after year, month after month, week after week, uh, day after day, um, and changes. I mean, this, this part of Romans, be, be, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but re- be, re- be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens as we remember what Christ has done for us um, and acknowledge that he is now reigning and his kingdom is, is here. And so this part of Romans, we're talking about how that changes things in our lives. And a couple weeks ago, it was how it changes our understanding of ourselves. And last week was, was about the church, but about those close to us. And this week, it kind of moves out to our understanding of those like maybe outside of our camp, so to speak. Um, uh, and when it comes to these passages where it talks about like loving your enemies and blessing those who persecute you, and Jesus uses similar language, 
when I, when I come to these passages, I think, I don't really have any enemies that I know of. Uh, for me to say that I'm persecuted when there are people around the world that are actually persecuted just seems like a joke. You know what I mean? So I think, I don't have enemies. I'm not persecuted. Let's just skip this one. Um, and then I thought about it some more, and then I realized that maybe it applies to me more than I thought uh, that it would. So let me go through this passage. It's roughly five, like, don't do this, but do this instead statements, although the first one's opposite. And, and just kind of open up a can of worms here on where this hits us. So bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. I'm a, I'm a harmony guy. I'm a peacemaker. I like that. I'm Midwest nice. If you were here last week, uh, a lot of you are southernly hospitable, even if you wanted to fight me last week for suggesting that your southern hospitality might be a little bit superficial. As I was saying that my Midwest night, nice might be a little passive-aggressive. Um, and so, like, I think, who would I have to curse? But then I think, you know, there are times when I curse at people, uh, or c- curse, like, to curse is like to wish ill on somebody. And then I thought, yeah, I, I wish ill on people. Like, who have you wished ill on? Can you think of anybody that you've wished ill on this week? <laughs> For the record, NC State's quarterback. Can we get an amen? Uh, yeah, just think for a second who, you, who in your heart you have wished ill on. And drivers are definitely, like that's towards the top of my list. Um, we're, Johnny's starting to drive, so we're teaching him to drive. And I think one of the things I've actually said to him in the last few weeks is a quarter to a third of all people on the road have absolutely no idea what they're doing and no right being behind a wheel. And at any second, they could do something that could kill everybody around them. And so part of your education in driving is don't be one of those people, like, because all of us are that person every once in a while, like, hopefully not very often, um, but all, just know that people around you are like that. Like, we can, that's an easy way to get frustrated with people. Like, can you think of someone you've wished ill on this week? Like, just in your, nobody else, it's just me, because this is going to be a long morning for me if that's the case, because I can think of a lot that's like, like, this really opens up for me, okay? So telemarketers or customer service people, God help everybody when you have to call a customer service anywhere. Um, like, phone scammers, holy cow. Uh, it's, it is um, high school boys' soccer season, and, um, and so my kids go to Enloe High School, and they're in the CAP 6 conference. It's got to be the best soccer conference in the state. I bet when the updated rankings come out tomorrow, we have four, maybe five of our six teams are in the top 25. And so and it's super fun to watch this stuff when you, when you get into it. So we've, we're the Enloe Eagles. I think we have the Eagles. Who do I have next there? This is, this is who's in the conference. This is the Broughton Caps. Got some caps in here. This is the Athens Drive Jaguars. We have some Jaguars here at Oak City Church. This is the Sanderson Spartans. That's another school in our conference, the Leesville Road Pride. And then the last school is the Cardinal Gibbons Evil Empire. <laughs> this is their mascot. This is a Catholic school. They got Darth Vader walking around on their sideline, like the sword and stuff like that. 
No, so Cardinal Gibbons is a, I don't have any problem with their private Catholic high school. Don't have any problem with that. I have a problem with their private Catholic high school with more money than God himself being in a public school conference with my kids. And so you go to, have you been to Cardinal Gibbons? It's like a college campus over there. Um, it's unbelievable. And they scholarship players. They say they don't recruit. Hello. Uh, like you have a friend that works there. Like, yeah, we kind of recruit. Um, and so there's like the playing field isn't level. And every time we play Cardinal Gibbons, I get worked up about it. Like I've talked to other parents about starting a petition to get Cardinal Gibbons kicked out of or whatever. And I don't have any problem with your Catholic private I'm sure it's a great education. I have a problem with whoever the guy is that paid off the Wake County public school system to let their kids in our thing. So, like, okay, maybe I wish ill on some people now and again. I started thinking about this passage. If you could go back to that verse, Kevin, about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And, um, and I think I'm, I'm a pastor. Like, that's kind of what I do. And, and part of that, like, weeping with those who weep, Honestly, I know a lot of you wonder sometimes, like, does my job matter at all? And when you are, when in this job you are called to grieve with people and you weep with those who weep, you don't wonder that question. Like, you get into the sacred places in people's lives um, when you do that. And I appreciate the fact that that's a part of this job. But, but just apart from that, like rejoicing with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know that phrase, misery loves company? I feel like in the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit has said, your misery loves some company, doesn't it? And so rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep is like, I'm not as good at that as I thought I was. Because there are times when something happens that's bad to somebody, and it could be somebody far away, or it could be somebody here, and there's a little part of me that feels good that I'm not alone in the bad that's happening in my life. Like, my misery likes that company. And there are times when good happens to people, and I rejoice for them, but, and I think, oh, they deserve that. But then I also think, well, I deserve that too. Like, why can't I have that? Uh, that's a little more honest than I would like to be, um, but it's true. And so I think, man, these passages, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Again, I don't think this is a huge problem, but maybe it's because 90% of my time is spent with people that are in the same socioeconomic category as me, and maybe God wants to read our minds when we get to the street corner and there's somebody you know, holding a sign that is asking us for money, and like, what goes on in your head in those moments? Like, do you believe the sign? Come on. Uh, is there like the tension of the moment of wanting to look somebody in the face and just dignify them because they're people but not wanting to give them money because you couldn't give money to everybody, you wouldn't have any money yourself, or, and you just don't know what is going to happen with that money. And I've noticed now, I was at a street corner the other day, where there's, when there's two left-hand turn lanes, this one like built up to six or seven cars and there's one car in this lane because there's a person right there and no one wants to like deal with the tension of that moment, so they're all in this lane. Um, and so maybe we're not as good at that as we think we are. Even being on the sidelines at soccer games um, is interesting because in, in playing in a league, adult league, like because of, you're just with different folks. So on our sidelines at Enlo, there's a guy who's the vice president of technology for some $12 billion company. Like this guy's in a different stratosphere, you know, with these things. And it's great. Like the guy's great. I love talking to him. There's another family that has um, immigrated from Uganda and barely speak the language and you know they're just scraping by. And so, but how does that tension play out or does it, or do we hang out with each other at any point other than on the sideline um, of a soccer game? 
So again, like not as easy as I thought. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, as far it depends upon you, live peaceably. But all. I'm like, repay no one evil for evil. It's not like I'm scheming at how to get back to a, at a neighbor about something, except for the lady that lives next door that called animal control on her dog when we let it out without a leash, and she apparently was scared that our yellow lab was going to attack her. Uh, and then her husband came out one day and is like, can't we just like let bygones be God? I'm like, your wife is the one that called the cops, man. Like, this isn't on me, it's on you. It was fine. It was fine. We're the neighbor that, that called the homeowners association about leaving our trash cans out. It's maybe. Um, and I read this passage and I think, Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. What's honorable in the sight of all right now in our culture is to repay evil for evil, right? Uh, cancel culture is a relatively new thing. A bunch of you have told me about how you're worried about getting fired for, for violating the latest, the cultural norm of the week in some way. Um, and then I thought, and I've gone down this road before, but who doesn't love a good revenge fantasy? Like how much money in Hollywood has been made with the storyline of a movie, if we're going to spend a half an hour creating an unequivocally evil villain uh, who deserves zero mercy, and then we're going to spend an hour and a half hunting them down and giving them what they deserve in violent and graphic ways. Like, come on, be honest. Do you like that storyline? Because some of my favorite movies are that storyline. Uh, maybe the most ridiculous one is, what do you think the most ridiculous one is? John Wick. It's John Wick. Like, whatever you do, don't mess with John Wick's dog, because he's coming after you, and it's not going to be pretty. Uh, the Taken movies, love those. The Jason Bourne movies, love those. Man on Fire, love those. Better yet, are revenge fantasies that involve vindication, because who doesn't want to be vindicated? One of my favorite movie scenes is from Cars, which is not a revenge fantasy movie. Um, but at the end of the movie, when the Hudson Hornet returns as the crew chief for Lightning McQueen at the big race, and everyone's like, that guy's been gone for 50 years, and we did him wrong, and now he's back, yay, Hudson Hornet. Like, he's vindicated. Or Gladiator is one of my favorite. I can't pass by Gladiator when it's on the TV. And that is a revenge fantasy where the guy gets vindicated and Commodus gets it in the end. And, like, it's great. And I'm not killing anybody, but that appeals to something in me that I think is, like, more, there's more in there than I want to admit to, and I think it's all tied together. Uh, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. On, con on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Paul could not run for office with this as his campaign slogan, could he? Like, he's not getting a vote today. Uh, we're about to go into another election cycle. Like, we're uh, 13 months away from an election, right? How many of you guys are excited about that? Um, I mean, you may like, and it, this, it looks like we're going to have Trump versus Biden again. Unbelievably enough. Like, it's like, I try not to be political, but, and you might like one of those guys. I don't. I just think, it, I don't know what it means about us that this is, we're back here with these guys again. Something's not um, working, and I don't like what they reveal about us. And I'm not 
freaked out about it. The founding fathers were smart enough to have a separation of powers. We don't have a king. None of these guys can screw stuff up, stuff up completely. It's not as bad as everybody thought it was in either case. But how many of you have lost a relationship in the last 10 years over politics? How many of you have lost a friendship over politics? How many of you have somebody in your family that you just avoid completely because of politics? Uh, have we ever lived through times when people are so on edge and ready to give it to each other? My uh, brother-in-law, is, he runs a soccer club, youth soccer club in um, southern Oregon, so small soccer club, and he was telling us stories a few months ago about how they had tryouts and this kid didn't make the team he wants, so the kid's dad called Dave and threatened to sue him, said, you'll be hearing from my lawyers. He had another situation where he, on their complex, their soccer complex, he realized there was like a stampede coming across the complex. Apparently, and I think I have this right, it was a U7 or U8 girls game. <laughs> Two parents got into it, and one of them said, I'm going back to my car to get a weapon. And like the whole thing, what is wrong with us? <laughs> uh, Never avenge evil for evil unless you're at a U7 girls soccer game. In that case, it's so important that you need to make sure you get it right. Uh, gun violence is, like, we're on edge. And I am a guns don't kill people, people kill people person. I also think it's a little bit weird how many guns we have. Like, we're going to shoot guns in a few weeks. It's fine. But, like, people post pictures of all their guns on the internet. Like, it's weird, you know? And... That plays into road rage is a different equation than it was 10 years ago because someone might actually shoot you. Uh, like, real, like, you got to be careful with that. You see those stories every couple weeks. Late night TV has become an echo chamber used to shame your enemies. The 24 hour news cycle just fuels fear and anger and drives up ad revenue, and we're pawns in that and don't even realize it. Social media allows us to take shots at people without having to interact with the people that we're shooting at. It all plays into cancel culture. So maybe these verses were a little bit more relevant than I thought they were at the beginning. And he ends it saying, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think, man, it, it feels like evil is in, encroaching. Like that spirit of revenge, of I'm right and you're wrong, and just kind of bucking up to a fight is encroaching further and further on us. And overcoming evil with good, oof, seems tough. Um, I'm going to add one more layer to this, and that the beginning of this verse, verses 14, 15, and 16, and then 17 through 21 are kind of two different sections. It starts with, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And then it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And the, the whole thing is moving from how you understand yourself to how you understand those close to you to how you understand your enemies. And the commentators will say, well, in 14, he goes to your enemies, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, because only your enemies would persecute you. But then it kind of goes back into those who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, living in harmony, which is like those close to you. And, I'm, and after reading that a handful of times, I'm like, I think they got that wrong because the people who can persecute you are the best are the people that know you the best, like, that are the closest, right? And they, they're not your enemies, and they might not be trying to persecute you, um, but the person that you get 
maddest at in your life might be sitting in the same row with you this morning. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the way that it is, and it's okay. Like, it's just the way that it is, that the, the more we engage in life together, the more we take on together, um, you know, the closer that we are with each other, then just, just by nature, we're going to understand each other's sin the most. And if the gospel is true and we needed the body and blood of Christ, then we're going to understand that about each other the most. And we're going to have the most to forgive to each other. And we're going to have the potential to hurt each other the most. And even in church, man, there's so many people in here, maybe everybody, if you've been in church for a minute, for, with some level of church hurt. And some people have a whole lot of it. Um, I mean, I've been here for 17 years, another church for, for another eight years. I don't think anybody ever intended to hurt me, but I think I've been hurt a bit, and I don't think I ever intended to hurt anybody, but I'm sure I have, you know? And so we all have family and co-workers and classmates and teammates and churchmates, and we know they're not perfect and they annoy us, and they're not enemies, but every once in a while we'd like to kill them, you know? Like, it just, that's the way that it works. So this passage runs, I think, deep and close. Now, underneath all these things, um, what I sense are three impulses that kind of fuel, that fuel this. One is the impulse for justice, and that's a good impulse. We have an innate sense that some things are right and some things are wrong. And so when it comes to Cardinal Gibbons and the evil empire, like, I have a sense, like, a need for justice. It really does bother me that there's not a level playing field, that they've got more resources, that all these families had more money to get extra training and do the club travel stuff over the years that they don't have a set base population to work with, but they can create their own base population. Um, and that my kids run up against that brick wall every year when they work just as hard, um, and it just doesn't seem like a level playing. There's a just, there really is a justice thing in that. Is it a big deal? No. Do I get more angry than I ought to? Um, yes. But it's still there. Cancel culture doesn't work if we don't have a strong need for justice. One of the great ironies of our time, to me, is that we're increasingly, we just refer to science for everything as the ultimate authority, and we're, more people, are, our understanding of where we came from is a Darwinistic origin story, which none of that has any, any room for justice. Like, there's no good or, there's nothing, there's no objective good or evil. It's all subjective. And yet, on the other side, our impulse for justice is leading us more and more to this cancel culture, they deserve to get it and I'm going to give it to them type of thing, and they're totally inconsistent. Um, and so you need that. We find an issue that seems clearly unjust, like, look out, right? Uh, I thought, the one I thought about was the Central Park dog walker. You remember that one? Do you remember that one? And nobody remembers. So, um, and do you, but did you, lift, how many people like months or years later heard the follow-up on it? Uh, because there was a whole lot more to that story. But as soon as that lady, it was that a white woman had called the police on a black guy in Central Park about the dog walking thing, and instantly her life was over, you know? But as it came out, like, the guy had had this problem before with people in run-ins, and he baited her. Uh, like, it was a whole thing. But what we see is something that says, nope, this is right, this is wrong, punish her. You know, and we do that over and over again. J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter lady, is fascinating because she was canceled by the right at first, and now she's been canceled by the left. Um, there is a podcast, The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, which is fascinating. It's just, a, it's a good listen to understand what's going, and she's interesting. Um, Chris Harrison got canceled. How many of you know who Chris Harrison is? 
That was really just a test. I have no idea who Chris Harrison is. He came up on a list of people that had gotten canceled. He hosted The Bachelor. Do I have that right? For 20 years. And that's fine if you watch The Bachelor. I was not, I'm not trying to cancel you or shame you for that. We cancel me. I just thought if I talk about Gladiator, maybe I should talk about The Bachelor. He apparently like, supported a woman on the show who had gone to a party she shouldn't have in college, which if you went to parties in college, you probably went to a party that you shouldn't have. I speak um, as one who had some experience with that. You know, and so, but he got canceled. Someone pointed out that recently George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Thomas Jefferson have been canceled. Right? Anybody on the left who said anything remotely positive about Trump and anybody on the right that claimed Biden actually won the 2022 election, they've all been canceled. Uh, like, we've got this intense sense of justice and an impulse, which is great, but it's warped, man. And it's hungry to make a bigger deal out of things than they are. And is for some reason right now incapable of forgiving. I was listening to someone the other day talk about politicians don't have the luxury of forgiving anybody right now. And I think that's largely true. So that impulse, there's an impulse for self-righteousness, for self-justification. And so when, we, when I find a situation, this is road rage, right? This, when I find a situation where I'm clearly right and someone else is clearly wrong and we can't talk about it because we're in different cars and I'm the judge, jury, and executioner, that is like emotional crack. Uh, it, but it's not just at a distance, right? It's worse when it's close, when you've got tension in your family and someone does something that is clearly, like it's, it's most of the time it's gray, but in this situation it's black and white and there's just parts of like, that want to like glob onto that and make that everything because in this instance, it's clear. And so that impulse for self-righteousness, I mean, explains road rage and explains revenge fantasy movies and why they're so popular in cancel culture and what's going on in politics right now and and why Fox News and MSNBC, depending on your preference, are so popular. Um, and then an impulse for control, which is the situation where it's not gray, but it's black and white, and we know that we can do something about it. And when we can do something about it, we want to do something about it. And the, the cousin of control is probably certainty, because we want situations where we're sure that we're right about it. Um, let me step further into everything and say that there are just some things with COVID where people and, and, and some of you guys, and we can talk, talk about it, you know, some people are so certain about stuff, like whether masks, some people are certain that masks work and other people are certain that they didn't work. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and the same with the vaccine. Y'all, I got the vaccine. And after my second dose, a week later, I realized that my ears were ringing and they're still ringing two and a half years later. Like, like, that was not good for me, and, but, um, but I'm still not certain it was like the wrong thing for everybody, but we, we want to like get into our camps and, and be certain and have control. Now, um, this, this whole passage is set up in the, all this part of Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and what renews our mind is the gospel. The reality of what Christ has done for us renews our mind. And this passage, maybe as much as any that we're going to read, man, is we need to be renewed. And so I think this is what it looks like. We don't need to cling to control because God's the one that's in control. And so we got to recognize that impulse for control like, is fine in some ways, but in some ways it's, it's way beyond what it is supposed to be. Um, and so this, when it comes to control, this is a passage that that routinely comes back to my mind. This is Peter at um, his sermon at Pentecost when the church starts. 
and he's, the Holy Spirit's come down, their tongues of fire, and they gathered a crowd. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And part of what that says to me is when it looked to us like everything was out of control, when the bad guys had won and they had put the good guy on the cross, they'd put Jesus on the cross, out of control, evil has won. He says, no, that was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God was in control the whole time, and God was winning. And I just think that messes with our ideas of control and right and wrong and, and what is going on and our perception of what is going on. Right? And it's telling us, like, God is, it's, it's everything else in Scripture tells us, God is the one who's in control. And our job is to stay close to him and trust that he's in control and not seek to be in control of everything ourselves, but seek to be close to him above all things. Um, in, earlier in Romans, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so he's at work in all of them. And that impulse for control is something we need to recognize. And, um, you know, in a lot of times and cases, repent of. We don't need to be self-righteous because our, self our righteousness is in Christ. This is a passage from Philippians after Paul lists all the things he could place his righteousness in, all the things that he could go to bed at night, put his head down in the pillow, and think of and think, I am okay because I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, and um, as to the law, full of zeal, and all these things that in his day were like big things. And I don't know what, they, what we could rest our righteousness on and say, I am good, or I'm better than somebody else, and so I can be okay with myself. And Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss. So all the things that I could put my righteousness in, I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I found something that's worth so much more than that sense of I'm right. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I gave up these things so I could have this thing, which is Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And the law is like, the law is not just the law. The law is like anything that can make us feel right. The, like the law of our culture and the law of comparing ourselves to other and like the people around us and how we get a leg up on people. It's all that. Um, so not having a righteousness that comes from the law of my own but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And that is the gospel. That um, he, he has given us our righteousness. The approval that we need is the approval that comes from him. The affirmation that we need isn't the affirmation that comes from the world, but that comes from him. And the weight that that carries in our hearts. And he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And man, that impulse for justice but self-righteousness with it and control is about power. That's what we want, is power. Um, we want power close and power far. And 
and the power that Paul wanted was a, was a bigger power. The, the power that this passage is going to appeal to is a power way beyond the power that, that our culture is seeking and that, that we seek. It's the power of the resurrection of Christ, of the spirit that raised him from the dead, of the God that created everything and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so that, not needing to be self-righteous because our righteousness is in Christ, like that will change that impulse. You know, when you don't need to prove yourself because you're consistently, this is why we remember what he's done, his affirmation, his love for us that brought him to the cross, affirmed by who we are in Christ, we can let go of our anger towards others. And our impulse to cancel other people will be diminished as we continually remember that we were the ones that deserved to be canceled and Jesus was canceled for us. And we can leave justice to the Lord instead of taking justice in our own hands. And man, that's where this passage gets hard. Um, Because what he really wants us to do is get close to him, follow him, do things that in our culture aren't going to make sense, and trust that he can use that to do something greater than we could ever imagine could be done, that he could use our faith in action to overcome evil with good. But we're not going to see exactly how that's going to happen. We can see what he want, how he wants us to trust us um, in the moment. And so that doesn't, this doesn't mean you don't stand up for what is right. Um, it means you do it in a certain way, and it means you don't absolutely freak out when you can't see things are going the way you want them to because God is the one that is in control. Um, I think this is a messier way to live. Like, you can't just get in your camp and take shots at the other camp, which is what we do, like the church does a lot, you know? Uh, And maybe with those close to you, it it means you isolate and get in your own camp, which is like you, instead of trying to reconcile with the people um, that are close to you. One of the things I thought of this week, and I ended up watching um, about half a documentary on it, was the Truth and Justice Commissions in South Africa. Does anybody know, has anybody ever heard of the Truth and Justice Commissions? Um, So, apartheid, anybody remember apartheid? That was like the Jim Crow South, but a whole lot worse. It was South Africa, which is a majority black nation, I don't know, maybe 90% black, run by 10% of white people that had come from Europe, and so for hundreds of years, they were in power. And then it, and then Nelson Mandela was in jail for 27 years, and Desmond Tutu, like, these guys were part of the group that changed that, and then when the, when the black people got in charge of South Africa, they, there was a desire for retribution for all the wrongs, and there were many, many wrongs that had been done. So they started this thing called the Truth and Justice Commission um, that was based out of this, you know, and they, and they had, they gave people the opportunity to come before the Truth and Justice Commission and confess things that they had done wrong that people might not even know about, and like, stand trial. And there was some, the rules were like, if it was, if what you did was somehow motivated politically or, or you could see how it came out of the dysfunction in that culture, that there were, forgiveness could be offered, but it wasn't a given. So they had one story of a young, 
um, American white woman. She went to Stanford. She was over there to, um, to help end apartheid. And then she just ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time, and a mob killed her. And then as it came out in the thing, that they mobbed the guys, the guys that killed her didn't know what she was there for. And then they figured out what she was there for. And like their mom was talking to her mom, and people were crying. And it was messy, but there was reconciliation. It was beautiful, you know, but it was messy. Um, and there was another story, the Craddock Four, which were four young um, black activists that were killed by a South African. There's the, the one police guy was the guy that they interviewed for the thing. And man, they showed this guy, I mean, they just, it was really well done. They showed him at his church and stuff. Like he thought he was doing the right thing by killing these guys. I don't know how you get there. And so, but he, he wanted, you know, he just couldn't live with it. He wanted resolution. And I'm not, I'm not sure that they actually, I'm not sure if they forgave him or not, or one of the four guys wasn't political or whatever, but like that, that was an attempt, and, it, and in large part it worked, to overcome evil with good. But that's hard. And that's where, with this, like, this is hard. In a distance, like the political climate of our culture right now, um, when what appeals in our political climate is the appearance of certainty, the appearance of control, the appearance of power, I think by people on both sides who are not certain and do not have control. <laughs> uh, and in that, we're called to acknowledge a lack of certainty and trust that God is the one that's in control. And really, I, it, it can't help but feel like to appear weak while appealing to a strength that is way beyond the bluster of our time. I don't know what to say about that other than that because it seems really, really hard, and that's what he's called us to. But it's, it's that impulse for justice. It's giving up the impulse for self-righteousness because our righteousness is in Christ, so we don't need to win an argument. And it's, it's trusting that God is the one that's in control, that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord will turn it wherever he will. And then it wouldn't, when it looked like the bad guy was winning, God was, knew exactly what he was doing. And to cling to that for us in ways that maybe we haven't had to do that before. And so it's hard at a distance, and it, maybe it's even harder with the personal issues that are closer, where you're trying to, but maybe not, where you're trying to identify and, and discern the sin patterns of people close to us that are impacting us while at the same time owning the sin patterns that we have that are impacting them. Um, I think that's what this passage is calling us to. And so I don't need to fear because God is in control. And I think a lot of our fear is based on, to rightly, just thinking things are out of control. Like who knows what's going to happen the next year? Who knows what's going to happen the day after that election? But being able to trust that God is the one that's in control. Not needing to be right because my righteousness comes from God. And knowing that I can be an instrument of good because God will multiply my efforts. And so we can be an instrument of God when the things that we do don't make sense to the people, to us even, or to the people around us. The verses don't say, they don't just say don't hurt anybody. You know, they call for us to be a blessing 
in situations where that doesn't make sense. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Don't be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Not just don't be arrogant, but like associate with the lowly. Repay no one evil for evil, but live peaceably. Don't avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this, um, you know, this is like a super concrete manifestation of, of living like Jesus lived. Jesus didn't wipe out his enemies. Jesus let himself be wiped out so that he could be reconciled to his, with his enemies. And what Jesus is calling us to do in these verses is to love others the way that he loved us. From Romans 5, if while we were, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And that's clearly what he said. We were enemies. We were enemies. And instead of taking vengeance on us, he reconciled us by the work of his son, and now he's calling us to do the same thing. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ Jesus, through whom we've now received reconciliation. And so whatever that is in you, like we can't genuinely understand the gospel, receive week by week communion, remember the work of Christ on our behalf, and keep pummeling the people around us. Like, that should be a real disconnect for us. Because Jesus did for us what he's asking us to do for them. Um, in Hebrews, it says, faith is the evidence of things unseen. And this, what he calls us to, like, don't be overcome evil, but overcame evil with good. And what, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink is evidence to someone that you're trusting in a, something that's more powerful, that you don't need to be in control because you really trust that there's something more powerful, that you don't need to prove your own righteousness because your righteousness comes from someplace else that they don't understand. Uh, that is the evidence, the tangible loving our enemies, whether they're close or far, is the, is the evidence of things unseen, of the reality of God's work in our lives. And when Paul talks about sharing in the sufferings of Christ, it's in those moments that we share in the sufferings of Christ because that's the way he loved us and suffered in his love uh, to redeem us. And that's where we get to be a part of what God's doing. Um, but that's hard. I did, I did think about my favorite movies, Cars. I love Cars. But at the end, it's about redemption. Like, it's about vindication, but it's about redemption. At the end of it, when uh, Lightning McQueen stops short of the finish line and let chicks, lets the evil guy win, lets Chick Hicks win, has nobody ever seen cars? And then he backs up and he pushes the king across the finish line. I choke up, man. It's redemption. Gladiator is the story of a general who became a slave who died to save an empire. 
That's why it's such a good story. The only thing better is if he could come back to life and become the emperor himself. And that's what Jesus did. But Jesus' kingdom isn't ruled the same way. And that's the kingdom that he calls us to be a part of. I opened up such a big can of worms at the beginning of this that all week I'm like, you have too much stuff at the beginning (laughs) and I don't know what to do with it. And I don't. And so my prayer and my hope is that the Lord has picked one or two areas of your life, one or two relationships, one or two impulses that you're convicted about where you realize there's probably a lot more work to do than you thought there was. Where you want power, where you want to be right, where you want things to be simple and certain. Um, And confess that to him and repent of it and ask him to change you by the power of the spirit that raised him from the dead. Uh, And that he would put in us some something where he wants us to overcome evil with good. Whether that be in what's going on in our culture, whether that be some, something to do with a church or a church hurt issue or in your neighborhood or your workplace or in your home. Um, where he calls us into a step of faith and uh, we trust that he's at work in it. Father, thanks for these words. Um, I pray that your spirit would speak into our hearts in uh, very specific places, Lord, where you want us to bless those who persecute us, bless and do not curse, whether they know they're persecuting us or not, Um, where you call us not to avenge, but to know that you've said vengeance is yours, justice is yours. You are a just God. The cross shows us that more than anything. Um, But we need to trust you with that. And where you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to, um, if our enemy is hungry, feed them, and if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And know that in that, Um, You have the power and the capacity to overcome evil with good by the things that you call us into and that you give us a chance to get a glimpse of that. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.